I want to talk, continue this conversation about the goodness of God in the series that we started last week um, called The Three Rebels. And so uh, I did a, a summary last week. Who was here for last week? All right. And if, uh, if you weren't here, just uh, watch it online. We have it online. And uh, so um, and those for you who are joining us online, welcome. Glad to have you guys with us. Um, so I'm going to read. I'm going to read this story. I'm going to read a portion of it so that we can get into it this morning. Um, this parable of the, we're calling it the three rebels, um, probably a more proper name would be <laughs> the lost son, but the way that a lot of us know it is um, the prodigal son. Um, but it's found in Luke chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read the first couple of, of verses of Luke chapter 15, uh, probably won't be on your screen, uh, just to give us some context. Um, but it says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. That's kind of interesting. Hold on. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Is that true about us? Do we have sinners wanting to listen to us? Or they are just like, eh. Do you talk to your Republican friends or your Democrat friends? They want to listen to you? No? Okay. Verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so then Jesus goes into these three parables. The first parable is about the lost coin. The second one, or the first one is about the lost sheep. The second one is about the lost coin. And the third one, we can say, it's about the lost son. Um, we're calling them all rebels. There's three rebels in this story, the younger son, the older son, and the father. And they are rebels against different things and, and in different ways. And so I'm going to go ahead and read um, the first few verses of this. For us to get started, verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, let's read together. If not, they'll be up on the screen. And he said, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Verse 14, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And verse 16, and when he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. All right, we're going to pause over there with what we just read. So we find this son who asked his father for something. The father was wealthy. The father was loving, the father was good, the father was a giver. The father was also wise. And in his wisdom, knowing that his son was asking for something foolish, the father gave what his son asked for. You think about that. When we pray, we ask God for things. 
do we really want him to give those things to us? It's one thing when we ask him for good things and it turns out good. But what if we asked him and God gives us all that we want? Are you glad that God didn't give you all that you want? My son Noah asked me last night about, talk, started talking about faith and um, started talking about free will and started talking about God allowing us to make dumb decisions, right? He doesn't stop us from being dumb. He doesn't stop us from even sinning. Um, he knows the, the direction that we're wanting to go. And because he loves us, he allows us to go in that direction. And as we talked about this last week, the younger son asking his father for the inheritance basically is saying that he wanted his father dead. Because an inheritance, as we all know, only comes after the person who's going to give you the inheritance it comes after they pass away. But this younger son is saying, hey, I would rather you die now so that I can live how I want to now. He's asking for his things prematurely. What's interesting is that this inheritance belonged to the younger son already, but it just was not time for him to receive what already belonged to him. He wanted to cut some corners, and get to it quicker. How many times have we attempted to get something quicker than what God wanted it, and it actually did not become a blessing to us, but more of a curse? Anyone? Maybe you married too early? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we've all tried to rush God, and... Um, and, and God gives us up to our desires. He really does. And it works both ways. If you don't want nothing to do with God, you will follow a path that will have nothing to do with God. If you want a lot of God and all that God has, God will honor it and he will show up. He will show up if you want him. Um, but sin and, and, and the root and the heart of all this stuff is this rebellion against his father, a rebellion against his family, rebellion against the properness of what was happening, even culturally speaking. But sin has a way of making us run and putting us on the run. It wants to keep, keeps us to hide. Um, and we're, we're, we're always like under run. There's, there's never enough. And, um, and what's interesting with this story is that when the son finally grabs his stuff, the further he gets away from his father, the worse things actually be, get for him. Um, and so this son thinks that he could get away from his father, that he can actually live in a world where his father is not there. And Jesus is relating this story as the father being our father, and we know that we cannot run, run from the presence of God. Right? We read in Psalm 139.7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Romans 1.24 says, says this, Therefore, God gave them over 
in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. When we go and do things our way, we latch on to the created things, the materialistic things of this world. We feel that they are the things that's keeping us from having a blessed life. So this son, this son thought that he was imprisoned when he was under his father's roof. And as he was leaving his father's house, he thought he was walking into and towards freedom. But he didn't realize that he was not walking towards freedom, but he was walking towards bondage. And his father, because he loved him and because he honors free will, allowed his son to walk towards destruction. And we talk with a lot of parents, talk to a lot of people, and you guys can share stories of you or someone you love or family members that are choosing to live destructive lives. And there's nothing that you can do. And so we're praying, we're asking God, we're, 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 and those are the things that we should do and, and, we, and we will continue to do them, you know. But as Father loves him, Father also knows that he has given us free will. And because of this free will, he allows us to destroy our lives. He allows us to destroy. That should put fear in our hearts. That we think that God's just going to appear from heaven and say, stop, don't do it. Stop, don't do it. He doesn't do that. He trusts us, but he gives us the freedom to, you want to go that way? Go. You want to be with me? You can stay. Um, it's interesting because the father, let me lean back up a little bit. Uh, the story goes that he, the son asks for his estate, for his inheritance. And we read that the father divides it among them. So the way that um, inheritance was divided when you have kids, you, the, the, the elder son would get the majority of the estate, and then the younger ones would get less and less. In this situation, there's two sons, so the older son would get like two-thirds, and the younger son would get a third, right? So it's interesting because even though the father, the father has everything, at this point, he has divided it among both his older son and his younger son. So now both of his kids have their inheritance early. And it says, a few days have passed while this younger son gathered his things, um, I think it's interesting because this younger son did not know if his father was going to honor his request. Because in those days, when you propose something like that, it's kind of like a death sentence to you. Because the, in Deuteronomy, we read that whenever a son is disobedient or stubborn, they actually take him out into the town square and they stone him. Maybe we should bring them back until our conscience. Um, no. Sin. Sin is fun for a season. That's why we do it. All these things that the son wanted to do when he finally pulled away from his haven that he did not realize he was under, when he finally pulled away, the Bible said that he spent everything with loose living. 
He did not think of the consequences that would come from his decisions. So sin is fun. It's fun for a season. But then the fun is replaced with a bill. And once you're given the bill, you realize that it's far greater than you thought it would be. And so what we tend to do is we tend to, and, you know, we don't like to talk about sin. When people talk about sin, we get like, oh, can we give us something positive, something victorious? You know, but you understand that without God rescuing us, without us knowing the depravity of our life, we don't fully comprehend resurrection and what God has done for us. All of us are these, are, were this prodigal son. All of us ran from the Father to do things our way. All of us suffered the consequences of sin. Some of us, though, we don't differentiate between sins and mistakes. Have you ever heard someone do something horrific and they said, oh, made a mistake, you know, sorry, I cheated my wife, made a mistake. Sorry, I uh, robbed the bank, <laughs> made a mistake. I ripped off my employer, employer, oops, made a mistake. And we try to soften sin by calling it a mistake. But those are two different things. Mistakes are error in judgment. It's something that we will all make as humans. It's part of our human nature is to make mistakes. Have you ever turned the wrong way and cars are honking at you? You're going the wrong way. That's a mistake. <laughs> um, have you ever gotten, you know, McDonald's instead of Chick-fil-A for the one you love? That's a mistake. <laughs> um, mistakes Although they have some consequences, mistakes require an excuse or a reason. You can say, sorry, I was distracted. Right? I don't know, my mind was somewhere else, so I made a mistake. Right? Sin, on the other hand, is not a careless distraction. Sin is a deliberate choice. It is a choice to do something wrong. And trans transgression is even a stronger word for sin because it implies a deliberate stepping over a boundary. It's a purposeful act. You, a good example is taxes. Some of us, maybe many of us, make mistakes on our taxes. Some of us sin on our taxes. All righty. That did not go over very well. And whenever we begin to sin, we give the devil a foothold in our life. Because someone is always leading us. Our greed, our desires. And I think we under, undermine Satan. I think we give Satan a pass at what he does. But the Bible is super, super clear in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Not just that sometimes he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He only, his only objective, his purpose, his point of existence is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will create margin. He will create a buffer from where you are to the point where he can steal, kill, and destroy. 
everything that you have. And he's okay with us calling it a mistake. But it's interesting because right in the same verse, Jesus says, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' purpose is for life and an abundance of life. It's the complete opposite of killing, stealing, and destroying. Life and death and our decisions veer us towards destruction or towards life. And this is the concept of free will. You're going to go left, you're going to go right. But if it was just like, hey, come here, we're celebrating death. Ah, you'd be like, no, I don't want that. But it's more like he lures you in. He sugarcoats it. He offers you candy like a stranger does to a kid. Come into this van. It's around the corner. I know your parents. It's so easy to do because we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, it is creepy. <laughs> but the purpose of Satan is complete opposite of the purpose of Jesus. Complete opposite. Because when Satan lures you in, he lures you into a place of never enough. You think as soon as you get this, you'll be satisfied. And he moves the needle further. He moves the goalpost further. He lures you in more and more. It's the world of almost. Just almost. We live in a world that's just, the definition of it is just, just a little more. Just a little more. Just a little more. And Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus tells you straight up, listen, I am more than enough. I am more than enough for all your needs. Anything that you have, I am more than enough. If it's, if it's physical, Jesus is more than enough. If it's mental, he is more than enough. If it's relational, he's more than enough. If it's about your vision, about your plan, about your future, about your family, about your friends, about what to do next, if your guidance, he has more than enough for you. Yeah. The son thought that the world had enough. And we read this story that he went and he spent everything. He was deceived into a loose living. He believed the lie over believing the truth. He did not realize that his father was his source. So by disconnecting from his father, he disconnected from his source. And when you disconnect from your source, it's only a matter of time before you hit rock bottom. And that's where the story picks up. Verse 17, but when... So we read up to verse 16 that he's, that he's, all this stuff has happened. He's, he's really hungry, right? He spent everything, verse 14. Then the famine hit in the country, and so he began to be impoverished. He was like literally sickly dying. He was like, I can't, this, this is really, really, really bad. This is really, really, really bad. And it's really interesting because there were no friends around now. 
Who knows why he and how he spent his money? His friends could have taken advantage of him, right? Oh, look, he's wealthy, you know, and they took advantage of him. Has anybody had any friends who's taken advantage of you? Anybody, right? Have you ever tried to appease and purchase your friends? Not maybe with money, but the things that you do just so you can have, hey, I'm going to spend money on you so that you can be my friend. And as soon as that thing runs out, you realize that your friends are no longer friends because they were only in your life for a specific reason. So this, this kid finds himself with nothing. He finds himself with, not, with no one. No relationship. No material gain. No inheritance. And physically sick. And physically starving. But then we read... Verse 17, so he, 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 he's in this pit that he's hired himself out and started to, so he can make some money, and the only place I was hiring, I guess, was a, uh, you know, watch the pigs. And that even broke the religious aspect, because this is the low of the low. For a Jewish person, to touch swine was the low of the low. This is how they can look at Gentiles. We're the Jews. Y'all are the Gentiles. We're the, the people of God. You guys are the enemy of God. You are those people. And so this younger son, he came from this place of right standing, right family. But then he is in the lowest part that he could be on every level here with the swine and with the pig. And then when he realizes he's finally hit rock bottom, this is the most encouraging verse you will ever read. And he came to his senses, we read in verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said. And what's interesting is because it's not just, you know, like, 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 oh, wow, let me just, oh, look at this. No, it says when he came to say, there's a, the, the verbiage here that he kind of like rose up. Like he could have even physically been doing this, the pigs, you know, and feeding them. And all of a sudden, he could even have physically got up. And also with his spirit and his mind just rising up to this realization. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough? bread but I am dying here with hunger and then he begins to make this plan I will get up I will rise up I will get up not just physically but with the mind I am getting up I'm sh something's beginning to shift in my mind and I will go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven. You see the realization? He realizes that his sin was not just against his family and his father, but he realized that his sin was against heaven itself. First and foremost, he says, I've sinned against heaven and, against, and, and also in your sight. And then he begins to play this thing out, says, here's what I, this is what I have realized. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. 
make me as one of your hired men. This is a pivotal point in this son's life because he is this is the point of rock bottom as it comes. Now, everyone, we all put our hope in things or in people, right? This son, he put his hope in being free, in his friends, in all these materialistic things. And hope is a feeling that what we want is likely to happen. And so he thought he was just going to flourish in this place, in this new country place. He's going to be successful. He's going to flourish in, in, in every way. But what, what happens when we hit rock bottom, it's when, or when, when the thing that we're hoping for or the person cannot or will not come through for us. So we begin to fail over and over. You know that the, the, the terminology says, when it rains, it pours, right? If one thing goes down, everything begins to break around us. Things begin to fall apart. You just don't get you know, rejection from one job. You get rejection from all the jobs. You, don't, you just don't get rejection from jobs. You actually get sick. You know, not only that, but then your car also breaks down. Just everything that goes supposed to go wrong or, or could go wrong begins to break apart and go and, and just, you know. And so what we do is we shift our, our hope from this thing to this thing to this thing to this thing. And then we realize, like, man, my car won't even start. What in the world's going on? Have you ever had those moments? We're like, oh, you, like, come to the end of yourself. But there's two powerful moments that when everything has come undone in our life, there's two powerful emotions that motivate people to make a change. One is inspiration, where someone comes along and they inspire us to change our life. Or desperation. Many times, we actually find inspiration in those desperation moments. It's often the case a person finds their greatest inspiration in those moments where there is no one else. There is nothing else. When a person hits rock bottom, they reach the lowest point in their life, and they are awakened to the reality that their life must change. That's what rock bottom does. It, it awakens you to this thing that something has to give. And so at the, when you're at the rock bottom, you realize a few things. One, just how, far, far, um, just how far off course you really were and that your life choices were simply not sustainable. Realize that what you were doing, it was not going to sustain you. All your dysfunctional behaviors are finally revealed. You begin to question everything that you've ever thought to be true. You question your motives, you question other people's motives, you question your beliefs, your fears, why you did the things that you did, why you didn't do certain things, why you attracted certain people or circumstances, why you succeeded. The patterns and behaviors become glaringly obvious, and the triggers that kept you repeating those behavior patterns come into sharp focus. Who knows what I'm talking about? When you get to the place, everything begins to dawn on you. You were not where you thought you were going to be in life. So there's a few things about rock bottoms that I want to touch before we get into this beautiful moment of resurrection in this kid's life. Number one is different people have different rock bottoms, right? In recovery circles, there, there are two circles or two things that they talk about. One is low rock bottom, and that is when a situation where a person, because of their action, 
has lost all their stuff. So they lost their work, their job, possessions, relationships. It's, it's everything. That's called the, the low rock bottoms. There's another part which, uh, where they call it the high rock bottoms. That means there's a situation where a person has not lost their stuff, but a crisis has forced them to evaluate the, the consequences of their actions. So with this particular story, it's easy to say, oh, it's all materialistic, and, and it's, he's chasing this wealth. No, some people can still keep their wealth, keep their jobs, keep their stuff, and still hit rock bottom. And we see it all at that time. So you have to understand that different people have different rock bottoms. Two, do not judge others when they find Let me say this way. Don't judge other people's rock bottoms. A lot of times we look at people with our own lenses and expect them to be where we are. Expect them to fall how we fall. Expect them however we would do it, we project it onto other people. But different people have different rock bottoms and we, ha- we cannot judge people's rock bottom. We just can't. Right? Number three. Rock bottom is not the worst place to be because if you arise and something shifts in that moment, because rock bottom is a great place to begin building again. It's a great place to begin to get healing again. Fourth thing is that do not protect others from hitting rock bottom. This is a really uh, a difficult one because uh, people that love people who are doing things that are destructive to them, A lot of times we come and we enable them, right? We keep them from hitting rock bottom. And when we keep people from hitting rock bottom or coming to them, to their senses, I tell people it's like hitting a brick wall. You have to allow a person to hit a brick wall. But when we come and we rescue them, and when we rescue them, we then keep them from hitting rock bottom. And when we do that, we are actually becoming the foundation for their life. You don't want to be someone's foundation. Number five, got two more. Number five, finding God at rock bottom does not necessarily remove the consequences of the decisions that you made. Number six, never forget your rock bottom. Never forget, because all of us are prodigal sons. If you know Jesus, you have hit a rock bottom somewhere in your life. Either you've lost everything or you didn't lose everything, but everything around you, the the depravity of life, the need for a savior, the realization of where you are, who you really are, it, it has become revealed. You no longer could hide the reality of, of where you are. And these places where we come to the end of ourselves, they're great moments to teach us because in the rock bottom, I love this, you will find Jesus because Jesus is the rock. And at that place, you will always find Jesus as he was on the cross with his arms stretched wide to embrace you.
the son was leaving his father saying, God, Father, give me, give me my things, give me my things, give me my things. When he came to the realization, we find this language where he says, Father, make me. And he was asking for the low of the low. He was asking, actually asking his father, Father, hire me. Hire me. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but maybe you can treat me like you would people in the outside and just hire me. The son, he thought he was finally free when he was leaving his dad. But now on his way back, a perspective has shifted because now Instead of trying to get freedom and thinking that he was free because he was leaving, he's now realizing that actually freedom was found in his father's house all along. And so he was walking in freedom. One was he thought he was free, but he wasn't. But now when he's walking on his way back, he's realized how free he really is. Not even knowing whether his father would accept him or stone him. But in this moment, this moment of repentance, this moment of realization that I messed up, this is the reality of my decisions, he realized that he was completely set free. Same journey, same journey, same road. One road away from the Father leads to destruction. The same road leading to the Father brings freedom. So we pick up and wrap this thing up. Verse 24. Well, let's back up. Verse 20. As he makes his decision, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. This is repentance. He didn't just think about doing it. He actually arose and he went. He actually is doing it. There's already a shift by him going back to his father. That's true repentance. It's not just repentance with your lips. It's repentance with your actions. Just like worship. We can worship God with our lips, but our hearts are not there. This was so powerful this morning. I don't know if, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier, but it's just, there's this point where, where we're singing to Jesus, and you, I felt it. And then there was this switch to worshiping Jesus. Same song, same people, but it's something has shifted from singing to Jesus and actually worshiping, pouring everything out to Jesus. This is this thing. It was like, I'm not just going to think about it. I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm actually going to act on it. I'm going to make some shifts towards my plan. And so, verse 20, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his slaves, (laughs) said, hey, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. This verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. 
and they began to celebrate. The son did not even have a gift to bring to his father. He had nothing. He spent everything that he had, and he's just bringing himself as he is to his father. That's such a beautiful picture because it represents us. What did, you get God, what did you give God that God didn't actually give you to begin with? What can you and I actually possibly bring to God that he doesn't already have? What is God lacking that you have? Nothing. This is the, the house of resources. It's the house of the source. The father has all that he needs The beautiful picture is this compassion leads to a reunion and not rejection. It leads to an embrace, not a beating. The father picks up his robe, exposes his ankles, and does something that's very undignified to the men of that culture. He's almost bringing shame upon his own family by responding and reacting when he sees his son at the distance. The whole town knew. They knew where the son was. They knew the position of the father. They knew what the father ought to do. And so they were just continually shocked. Because the father doesn't only just run to his son. He also embraces him. He kisses him. And it's not just like a, you know, it's a kiss and a kiss. And he just continues to kiss his son. He says later on, he was dead and now he's alive. You understand, the, we, we spiritualize this thing, but remember when the famine hit, his father did not know whether his son physically died. I mean, you have the father who has everything and no one is starving. And he hears a story that in the country there's a famine and he knows his son is in the country. All these, all these implications. So when he sees it, he goes towards his son. And he doesn't even finish listening to the son's plan. So he gives him a robe. And all these things, they represent something. As the band comes up, I want to just zero in on a couple of these. And we're going to sing one song. And we'll do what we did this last week. Is we're going to just sing this song. And we're going to just allow you guys some time and space to talk with God. And bow your head, you can pray, you can kneel, see where you are with God. But the robe, the robe is a, it's symbolic. The robe represents his father covering his son's dirtiness and impurities. He's covering all of the resemblance from the swine. He's putting on his robe. He's saying, as far as I'm concerned, 
you are pure. Everyone can judge you. They know what you did. But I, as a father who loves you, I'm going to cover your rags. I'm going to cover your sin. This is the symbol of righteousness. That God covers us. He puts us in right standing with him. He purifies us. Secondly, he says, I'm going to give you my ring. And the ring signifies the privileges of the family. It was a signet ring which basically gives you the authority to represent the family name. In those times, whenever they would send a letter, you had the seal of a ring that would authenticate that whoever had the seal was in authority to grant whatever was in this letter. So the father places his ring, inviting him back into this authority to represent the family name. And that's what Jesus does to us. He says, you are my followers now. You are Christians, Christ ones. We take on the name of Jesus. And we carry his name on his behalf. And the shoes, the shoes represent his position. Slaves did not have shoes. Only sons and daughters had shoes. And so the shoes can represent his position and acceptance into sonship. Remember the son is like, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father's like, here's shoes. You are my son. I reject your plan for your life. I have a better plan for your life. And I get it. Sometimes we're afraid. We don't know how the Father is going to respond to us. <laughs> but when we realize, when we come to the end of ourselves, we realize there's nowhere else to go but to Him. And when we talk about that He's good, this is what we mean. He doesn't give us what we deserve. His grace is enough for you. He sees you. He knows you way before you realize where you are and what you're doing. He doesn't reject you, even though you and I deserve it. He doesn't give us what we deserve. But instead, he embraces us. He receives us. He gives us authority. He gives us the ability to represent his name. He forgives us. He washes us clean. He sets us on a journey. This is the launch of the young son relationship with his, with his father. He was in the house. He was dissatisfied. But he was never in relationship with his father. This is why he wanted his things. Because his father was dead to him. But now, he realizes that the good life that he was looking for is actually in his father's house. 
I don't know what kind of good life you're looking for. And maybe this is not related to you. Maybe you have not lost all your things. Maybe you're more like the older son, which I'm going to talk about next week, where you did not live this dramatic story of the previous life. And I know in the Christian circles, we love to talk about and, and focus on the bad life, the life of waste and spent and parties and girls and drugs and, you know, just doing whatever I wanted to do and then God saving us and, and everything's good from here on out. We love to just, you know, focus on, the, on those stories. But, but there are two versions and there's two forms of where we are. When God saves us, we're all prodigal sons out of relationship with the Father. And when we come to our senses, when we realize that we are broken, when we realize our reality, that we need Him, that He's more than, than enough. And when I come under His reign, under His authority, under His, His, His headship, He's my source. And He just doesn't want to give us those things as an inheritance. He wants to build relationship with us. And when we, when we get there, and in that relationship is where we begin to see and experience the life that Jesus promised. Because then we begin to flourish under the Father's house. Next week I am going to talk about the older son because I think that is more of where the church is. And the implications of what the religious aspect of Christianity is. But I just wanted to kind of zero in and just to say, man, never forget when God pulled you out of the pig's den. He pulled you out from a dark, horrible place. We don't park there, but we always remember because it brings into contrast the goodness of God that yes, even you, He pulled you out and you and you, and you, and those who are watching, you too. He's able. And maybe some of you guys are just like approaching the Father's house right now, and you don't know what to expect. You don't know how God is going to react, how God is going to respond. I would say this. Just receive His embrace. Because that's how He receives you. Receive his kiss. It's okay. Are they okay? Make sure that someone can check him. It's my son, he's fine. Yeah, can someone someone will check on him? Um, well, regardless of the distraction. <laughs> God is still there open with our open arms. So I want to give us a moment right now as we sing this last song and, and kind of close out this evening is that if you have not been embraced by the Father, maybe He's trying to embrace you and you're just resisting, you're just rejecting His embrace. I would just, allow, I would just ask you to just surrender to His embrace. Step completely into all that He has for you. And actually I want to offer the prayer that if you've never had this moment where you hit rock bottom, maybe you've, you've never even started this journey with Jesus, you have an opportunity today to get your life right with God and to give your life to Him. So with every eye closed and every head bowed here, and if you're watching, wherever you are, if God is convicting you, if God is speaking to you, and you realize where you are, and you're trying to reach for something, reach for Him, and just pray this prayer as an acknowledgement that God is working in your life, and just, and just say basically, you know, Father, I am broken 
I've sinned, I'm lost, I don't know where to go or what to do, but I want to give you my life. I believe that you are the hope, you are my future. I believe that you sent your son to die for me, to cleanse me from my sin, and to give me eternity. So I thank you for that gift, and I receive that gift. I receive your son. I exchange my life, my brokenness, my emptiness, my loneliness, my depression, my anxiety, my lack. I exchange it for all that you have, for hope, for peace, for joy. And I receive Jesus, and I invite Jesus to take over my life and become my savior and my king.